don't know what I would make of it if I hadn't written it. Like it's like kind of in this like <laughs> Twilight Zone, which is one of my favorite shows, like Twilight Zone-y, get out kind of space, but then also the Stepford Wives because, mm-hmm. or even Rosemary's Baby, which is like the kind of like that gaslighty, like, is this happening? Those kind of subtle, expectations that no one actually voices but you still feel like you need to speak out and there there were things that you know I'd seen or books that I thought would be really good to get that weren't necessarily received in the same way and it's like well I feel like I should say something about this but I also don't have that much agency. I mean, I didn't expect any of this. Like, I can't believe I'm talking to you you right now. (laughs) Because I really was like, oh, maybe someone will, maybe someone will be like, okay, this book about publishing, like, I believe in it. I, I just, I wasn't really expecting to get this kind of reception at all. So it's been incredible. Hi, and welcome to Bestsellers. I'm Natalie Jameson. And I'm Phil Williams. And on today's pod is... Zakia Delilah Harris with, frankly such talked about book very well deserved it is probably not what you're going to expect but comes so recommended called the other black girl yeah i really enjoyed speaking to zakia for this and again props to you because this was a book i hadn't hadn't come across or put under my nose until you mentioned it literally shoved it in your face yeah yeah which i don't mind that because i'm now like i'm starting to think well if natalie likes it it's gotta be good and <laughs> um yeah and so i get excited when you mention a book to me that i haven't heard of. i'm like come on then let's have a look at this and what i like about this is that um although there are key components in this that you might expect from the title such as race and white privilege and all the rest of it actually it's just an out and out thriller and those things are factors but they don't dominate does that make sense it's a subtle distinction but it's an important one yeah and I think this does come up in the conversation, but just to reiterate as well, it's such a compelling story. And what Zakia does really well is it's it's a really enjoyable read. It's really entertaining as well, even though it's covering this whole like gamut of issues about how we work together uh, as a society in general and how women work together. But she just has such a a, a really fantastic grasp of, of a turn of phrase that will she does that thing you know sometimes when you're reading a book and then you kind of stop in your tracks because you're like did I just read that like that sentence is so astute mm. she has just managed to distill this whole kind of thing into a brilliant sentence and I kept doing that throughout this book so it was a joy to read so here it is the full interview with Zakia Dalila Harris for the other black girl <laughs> The Other Black Girl is Zakia Delilla Harris's debut work. Uh, she's listening to this as I'm saying it, so I hope I'm getting it all right, by the way. But she has an <laughs> MFA in creative writing. Um, the book's already being developed for television. Zakia used to work in publishing, in editorial as well. She's written book reviews. Um, basically, she really knows her stuff. And uh, we are genuinely thrilled to have you on our bestsellers podcast. So Zakia, hi. 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 I'm so excited to be here. Thank you for having me. I was a little disappointed that she nodded her way through that. I was hoping that at least one of your facts would be made up. Do you know what I mean? Like- Why would you say that? So early on. So early on. I actually got my PhD in science. I don't know. Is that possible? Can you just get a PhD in science? A general one? Yeah. yeah just- you, you can if you get it from Sesame Street. Yes. <laughs> I, I could try and uh, stumble my way through it, but I will 
ask you if that's all right to set up the premise for the other black girl and um, before we get things started so I kind of we get a gauge as well of how much you want to give away or not Yes, yes, that sounds great. Um, so in a nutshell, the other black girl uh, primarily follows Nella Rogers, who is a young editorial assistant, uh, who has been the only black person working at Wagner Books for the last two years. Um, very prestigious publishing house, very, very, very white publishing house. Um, and so she's very excited when Hazel, another young black woman from Harlem, uh, starts working in the cubicle next to hers because she's so excited. She's like, okay, we can experience all the microaggressions, have all the conversations that we can't have with our coworkers together. But um, alas, things go awry in the office. I'll just say that. And um, <laughs> Nella starts to wonder Hazel's intentions and if, if Hazel is really all that she seems. Um, and then of course, unfolding alongside Nella's story are the stories of three other black women uh, who all have ties to the media world, the world of publishing as well. Um, and they're all very different, have very dif have made di very different decisions in life, but they're all tied to one secret that has implications for all of them and for Black people all over the world. The dun, obvious, dun, dun. the obvious follow-up question is <laughs> is which I'm sure you you what you can see coming a mile off is how many of your experiences at Knopf Doubleday have have gone into this because this is we should explain to people this was your life for a while, wasn't it? You were in that publishing house. Yeah, in, in a way. I mean, I, I had it way better than Nella, to be honest. I was not the only Black person in my company. I was the only Black woman in editorial, though. Um, mm -hmm. And uh, there was another uh, gentleman who had been an editor um, in that same uh in the imprint for a while, but very different generational differences. You know, like we, you know, he'd been there for a very long time. And um, so, yeah, I was, I was definitely in a lot of ways isolated and I was kind of able to find people on other floors and like go to mixers, but it's kind of not the same as sitting in a meeting and, you know, having those other faces and at the table. Uh, and so, so yeah, that was definitely the premise. I mean, I started writing the book in my cubicle um, at work <laughs> and Did then you? a few months later. <laughs> yeah, I, it was until that moment, chapter one um, with Nella sitting in her cube, smelling like that was me sitting in the cube, my cubicle, thinking mm -hmm. about, you know, all the things that you can't see, but you can sense are happening around you uh, over those walls. And so, a lot of like that physical experience of being in an office, of going to these meetings, of, you know, your kind of zany coworker conversations, like the things that you get excited about in publishing, it's just its own, it's such an interesting space to me. Um, so, so yeah, definitely. Uh, but how were they to your ideas? You know, did they, did they, because obviously Nella in the book, she's asked mm -hmm. what she thinks about certain books, but yeah, you're really left with the impression that the boss doesn't care. <laughs> well, you know, and that's the thing. I, I will say also, and this is probably doesn't excite listeners as much, but my bosses were wonderful. <laughs> um, I did know, you know, I've, I've heard horror stories. I've seen other things happen with other assistants and other, just other publishing positions, but my bosses were actually like very, um, in a lot of ways, gave me a lot of autonomy that other assistants didn't get. But that being said, of course, you're still in an assistant position. You really don't have that much say, right? Like you are really a lot of times there to kind of help buffer what your boss already thinks. 
um, because they're, you know, at the end of the day, they've been there for X amount of years, especially where I was working. Everyone had been there, editors there for a while. Everyone had started in publishing at a young age for the most part and then moved up, or at least that was my understanding. So, so you really kind of did defer to your boss until you got promoted. Um, and I actually was promoted two years into assistant editor and I was given a title to work on, but then I was like, uh, I actually don't think I want this anymore. <laughs> so, I mean, it, I guess it worked out. <laughs> I could just imagine you going to various meetings and then kind of going back to your cubicle and being like, right, I am writing this. <laughs> I, it would, honestly, it would light a fire under me mm. uh, with certain things, especially where, you know, I mean, you see so many books come through that we didn't buy all of them. Of course, there's no way to, to buy all of the books that we got in submission, but that definitely, yeah, that was me of like having these really good author conversations and being like, I want to be that person in that chair one day. So. Yeah. And did you, I mean, I'm getting the sense that I know the answer to this question already, having read the book, uh, but did you often feel that pressure at times? Was it put on you to represent all Black women everywhere with your opinion? I mean, I did. And, you know, it's it's one of those things where it's like, how much of it is something that you put on yourself that I put mm. on myself and how much is actually put on me? And I think the ambiguity of that, the like gray area of that is what like it's a weight, I think, for a lot of Black people, um, those kind of subtle expectations that no one actually voices, but you still feel like you need to speak out. And there there were things that, you know, I had seen or books that I thought would be really good to get that weren't necessarily received in the same way. And it's like, well, I can't really, like, I feel like I should say something about this, but I also don't have that much agency, um, which is the same for, you know, it's the case for any young person, I think, working in an entry-level position, but especially as a young Black woman in this space where, yeah, that responsibility feels really prevalent. It's it's even harder to navigate or just a lot stickier, um, especially when you add how hard it is to just get into publishing here. And I imagine, I think I know it's the same way in the UK, like you really have to like scrape your way over other people to get in. I think it's similar. I mean, Phil and I haven't worked in publishing, but I think it's probably comparable to journalism as well, whereby it's ridiculously competitive, which is our, both of our backgrounds. Um, And we've both worked in broadcasting and yeah, there's like always people who are waiting, nipping at your heels trying to get into you. So Totally. In that sense that like you're kind of replaceable. And that's what I wanted to also get at with Nella and Hazel's relationship. Like this sense that like they're kind of, I mean, this isn't spoiling that there is going to be some kind of tension or competition between them. I feel like that's pretty obvious from the copy. (laughs) Um, But like that really was from a real place in publishing. I think, you know, we, when I was an editorial we were dropping like flies a lot of times, like people were just leaving and going somewhere else because the pay wasn't great or because they just were zonked out and immediately someone else would be mm-hmm. chomping at the bit. So it's like your value you feel isn't as high as you know it would be otherwise. Mm. No, we couldn't possibly comment, could we? we've both been on the arse end of that can i put a couple of quotes to you um uh, from early on in the book that kind of they epitomize as well what we're talking about here and get your thoughts on them um i'll start with the 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 quote that's later on into the prose but there's no i won't give you any context to this so there's no spoiler in this in terms of plot but it's very defining it's about diversity 
So as Nella considered why she distrusted needles and pins so much, that's a book that she's been uh, looking at. She also considered what Jesse had said about white people who went out of their way to present diversity. With heightened awareness of cultural sensitivity comes great responsibility. If we're not careful, diversity might become an item people start checking off on a list and nothing more. A shallow, shadowy thing with but one dimension. Now, I'm going to level with you, and I hope Natalie doesn't mind me doing this, but um, I think we've both been frustrated at workplaces where we think we've seen that happen. And what we wanted to do with bestsellers with our podcast, because it's just me and Nat and we own it, is we wanted to make sure we were reflecting a diverse range of voices, but only if the books were good enough, not just because they were a diverse range of voices. Does that make sense? And are we getting it right? Yeah. And and what's your experience of it? Right. I mean, I think that's really important. Um and uh, the thing that I do think is important too, though, is to, with publishing that is hard and I'm trying to get at is like the sense that the the qualifications that we talk about in publishing are often not necessarily the right ones. You know what mm. I mean? Like I think, mm. because I, I do think, and this might be too easy to say, but publishing is so subject, like a, a good book even is a, is really subjective. And like, I think that there is a way to, look at each book individually and see how that impacts you and like the criteria I think just changes for each book but I think that's absolutely right I mean what I really wanted to get at with this book and with that quote um, I'm really glad that you shared that one is like the commodification of diversity um, and how that's that seems to be especially I think with last year um, and it's like this tricky, it's tricky because I think it's great, all of the conversations and like the kind of hiring that's happening is amazing. But I also worry that it's like a Band-Aid, right? And I think that that Band-Aid is not good enough. Like there needs to be, like we need to talk about what's actually happening um, with the scar or whatever. Sorry, this metaphor is not working, but you know what I mean. Like, <laughs> That like wound is too needs, deep, isn't it? <laughs> that wound is too deep. I just got to amputate. No. Um, <laughs> but sometimes, I mean, I think that like, and by doing these things, by saying, oh, we have all of these Black people now, we're good. We can move on. Like, that's that's really harmful too. And in the case of um, Nell and Hazel's relationship, that is also what causes them to have such a hard time is because again they're both of them are being seen um once hazel comes they're being seen in relation to one another and then before that nella was seen in relation to to the black expectation right so like they're nella never gets to be herself um because everyone is just tokenizing her essentially mm-hmm. um and so yeah i mean i think that's really important and and um getting back to, to your podcast, I think that's really important too, like of, of looking at books, you know, not just because in a lot of ways they're, they're by certain authors. Um, but another thing I'd say that's important to do is like, I mean, I already kind of talked about this, but again, I think it has to do with like what we value in publishing and like, there are tons of books that don't get as much buzz, um, by, BIPOC authors um, that deserve to also get looked at, um, even if they haven't been widely getting a Mm. lot of coverage. Um, And let me just, sorry, let me just, POC author, I assume you mean people of colour, right? Yes, yes. And here, there's been an acronym around for a while, there's been BAME, 
which has been uh, yes, yes, black and minority popular. ethnic. And there's there's yeah. been a suggestion recently that that needs to be dropped because it's feeling a bit labelly. I mean, yeah, BIPOC also. It's right. and it's hard. I mean, I think language. I was listening to this really good podcast called Code Switch. Um, I believe it's an NPR podcast, but mm-hmm. they were talking about all of those things. Um, then AAPI, I've also heard like Latinx, I've heard people like, mm-hmm. I, it's, it's hard. I, I actually don't know how I sometimes feel about BIPOC. I think for like conversations like this, I'm like, it's just easier yeah, it's to a short say, hand. which like, you know. <laughs> yeah, but I think the kind of, the, what I'm, well, I think, I don't want to make another analogy just for the sake of it, but it reminds me of um, a couple of years ago, I was chatting to uh, a couple of female comedians in the UK. And and I don't know if you have them as much in the US, but in the UK, uh, comedy panel shows are a really big thing. So where they're kind of like topical Mm -hmm. news-based things, but you get a bunch of comedians basically sitting on a panel and making jokes. And it's like an entertaining half hour. And there was a thing quite a long time ago now about how there had to be better representation on there particularly of women so they would have to have one female comedian on the panels um, mm. and even a couple of years ago I was talking to, to people about this and they were sort of saying that well they sort of did that but what they haven't changed is the environment that those shows are made in and who actually gets to speak first yeah. or who gets to speak in a way that actually um empowers them and champions the way that they work it's still a very male situation so I kind of hear what you're saying in terms of these things might be happening with diversity but if it's still just run as a purely white enterprise what's the point yeah yeah it's a fine line I mean because I do again I do think it's great to have this this visual kind of element but I think it gets really tricky when you look at by just like numbers of like, okay, this number of people, this number of like uh, authors, like we'll have this, we'll do this each year because you're right. Like it's not, the, the thing about the other black girl that I really wanted to convey is like these environments are like fundamentally screwed up. Like having, like the fact that you can have two black people here and you think that it's fine and you can just move on like in at Wagner Books like that's not healthy and that's actually not how it works like you you need to talk about the industry itself and all of these industries because it's not just Mm. publishing but like you need to talk about the conditions that cause things like what happens to Nella uh, and Hazel down the line in the book Um, you need to talk about why that happens because it's more than just the fact that most of the people work here are white. It's like this institution is fundamentally um, warped and we need to think about those structures and then how to change those structures. So well, I'm glad you mentioned that because that's the other line I picked out from the book I wanted to read to you. Again, it's quite early on, no spoiler attached to this, but and I won't say who the he is in this, but he could mm-hmm. see the thread that ran between the cultural faux pas of major corporations and the major faux pas of police officers all over the country. And as mm-hmm. we record this, um, a few weeks ago now, it was the one year anniversary of the killing of George Floyd. And I think that certainly was what I thought of when I read the line about the major faux pas of police officers across the country. Yeah. Um, was that in your mind when you constructed that? Yeah. I mean, I wrote this in 2019. So at the time it was Eric Garner, Philando Castile, um, Brianna Taylor, or I'm sorry, not Brianna Taylor, because this is 2019. See, mm. this is how crazy <laughs> time works. Mm. Um, but yeah, I definitely 
had those because for me, um, I mean, I feel like last year was the biggest swell in a while, but I do also think 2015, 2016 was also a big swell. swell. Um, at least for me, I felt like I was experiencing all of the things that were happening of the Eric Garner protests, like mm-hmm. um, after what happened to him at the hands of the police, uh, this murder. And so I was definitely channeling that feeling, but then I was editing this during 2020 um, during the protest for uh, Breonna Taylor and George Floyd. So I actually went back into a few of the chapters and it came out in different ways actually, which is, is interesting for me going back and thinking back to the book. Uh, and it, it was hard, it was hard to go back to those parts and really pour out my anger and my frustration mm, with, mm. with what was happening. Cause you uh, went so to some of the protests as well, right, didn't you? I did, yeah, I went to- Which to again was a big a decision for you to take, wasn't it? Because it was in a COVID environment. It was in a COVID environment. Um, I, you know, at this time it was June and things were still unclear about just how outdoor stuff, who knew, right? So, Mm. I mean, we, me and my partner made the decision to go. And I mean, it, it was a very big decision, very hard, but I actually ended up going with quite a few of my friends who also felt it was just really important to to be out there. And I honestly don't know if I would have been able to finish this book if I hadn't done that. Really? Wow. Okay. I mean, I was in such a headspace uh, before going out into the world and like getting that energy and anger out that like, I don't know, I sitting in my apartment, trying to go back to this book and knowing it mattered, but in the grand scheme of things, feeling pretty hopeless, I'll be honest, like about a lot of stuff happening uh, in this country. Uh, that was hard. But then going out and being around other people and then seeing um, people protesting in the UK, all over the world, like that, then after that, I was like, okay, like there is, there is a path forward um, in this book. I, I feel positive, but it's it's hard. <laughs> it's really hard during that time. And actually, what was just out of interest? What was your journey to getting a publishing deal? Was it an easy one? Was it a struggle? You know, I think it was easy, which like is easy by the standards of like I know how hard it can be. Mm-hmm. Um, so just to be really frank, I do feel like everything happened absurdly fast and smoothly. And I know big, I owe a great deal of that to my experience working in publishing. So like I knew, I knew all of the avenues. I knew what I needed to do. I did query a bunch of agents who I never worked with before. So in a lot of ways, I was starting from scratch. Um, in that regard, because this book is not an easy book in the sense that it's like multiple genres. Uh, It's not just a straight up literary book. And that's not something everyone's into, which I respect. Um, So that part was was interesting, Um, got a lot of interesting feedback on the agent side. But thankfully, my agent really got it and loved it from the get go. We edited it together. Uh, We shot drafts back and forth from like, we signed together. I signed with her in November 2019. And then November, December, January, we were like, I was in her office. Like we were talking about the book and the timeline, like multiple drafts because we were both fast. Um, and then after that, in I think early February, we were 
subbing and the UK and the US just, it all happened really fast, which was, again, I didn't expect, I mean, I didn't expect any of this. Like, I can't believe I'm talking to you <laughs> right now because <laughs> I really was like, oh, maybe someone will, maybe someone will be like, okay, this book about publishing, like, I believe in it. I, I just, I wasn't really expecting to get this kind of reception at all. So it's been, it's been incredible. So that sounds like, were people fighting to buy it then? Did you have one of these kind of mythical auctions? I did, I did, which again, like I, I'd seen them happen like a few times, but I had never expected it would happen uh, for the other black girl. Um, I think, well, I think talking to my agent and like she had would kind of like tease, tease other people or that's where tease it to other people. Like, oh, I have this book and people would sound really excited about it. But I think until you're like in that space where you're actually giving it to people and they're reading it and you're actually getting responses back and you're like, oh, like, oh, you like it too. Oh, oh, like it's, that was when I was like, okay. Um, and then, yeah, the auction here. And then there was also one in the UK. It, it was just amazing. Um, and I, I couldn't be happier with, of course, my decisions of working with Bloomsbury and Atria here. It's just been, it's been a ride. <laughs> it's been a ride already. <laughs> and the book's not even out yet. Well, once this comes out. It, but <laughs> you used a beautiful phrase earlier, uh, a multi-genre book. Yeah. Right. But, and so, and again, we don't want to put spoilers in this pod, um, but I Although think... Although having said that, I might just have to ask Zakia something right at the end. Right at the end that we'll, yes. that we'll nick out and it'll never, yes. it'll never hear the light of day. Okay. But, um, I'm here. <laughs> the, the, the comparisons that have been made are Get Out meets Devil Wears Prada. So without kind of giving you any spoilers, that's all over the marketing, that kind of thing. Yeah. How, do you, how do you feel about that? I mean, they're both great individual products, aren't they? Do you feel added pressure with that? Or do you think, oh, well, that's good because they're both so recognizable. People will recognize what my work is about. How does it work? You know, it's, I, I'm of two minds about it. I mean, I, when I came into this, I mentioned that I had an idea of like, I mean, I know, I know what the publishing situation would be like of how to get this book published. I knew the language, language I would need to use, the phrasing I needed to use. And I also understood how comps worked even though I've never personally liked comps um, at all. I think they're <laughs> such an like unreliable way of looking at things, especially now in our time where people buy books for so many more different reasons from, by getting them from so many different places. But comps do help in a lot of ways. And I've gotten interesting reception about the comps. Like some people are like, yes, this is it. And other people are like, I don't see this at all. Mm. Um, that being said, you know, I think it's, I think it's great. I, I couldn't think of anything else, to be honest with you, because this book occupies a space that like, I, I don't know what I would make of it if I hadn't written it. Like it's like, kind of in this like <laughs> Twilight Zone, which is one of my favorite shows, like Twilight Zone-y, get out kind of space. But then also another comp I would add, and that I add to other people when I'm talking about it, is the Stepford Wives, because, mm -hmm. or even Rosemary's Baby, which is, like, the kind of, like, that gaslighty, like, is this happening? Is she just going, like, crazy? Like, mm -hmm. that kind of thing, mm -hmm. that space, but Stepford Wives is too old to comp, uh, and it's not something that publishing houses, I think, 
I really like the comparison, but then I am old. So <laughs> <laughs> no, I like it too. I don't mean it's an it's a bad cup because no, it's no, old. no, no. I know. I, I likewise. I can hear people saying that. Oh, we don't want to put that on it because it kind of sets because it in a time yeah. and place. But um, exactly the kind of creepiness of that and some of the themes that it throws up is just delicious. I think. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, and in terms of Get Out, that one I think. I mean, I I believe I wrote that in my query letter when I queried my agent because I couldn't think of, I needed a book that would get at um, the social kind of like the, quite frankly, the blackness of the book. Like there Mm -hmm. is an element, a big element is race and identity. And of course, white liberals, uh, well-meaning white liberals and how they can cause harm, sometimes just as much harm as um, a straight up racist white person. Um, And it's insidious in a different way that uh, blatant racism is. So I wanted to get at that, but it's like finding another book that did well or that people would recognize, um, which is another thing about comps that I don't like is like, there are probably other books that are similar, more similar to this book than say Devil Wears Prada, but they just didn't do as well for whatever reason, they didn't get as much money or they Mm -hmm. didn't, all of those things. Um, So, so yeah, I mean, I, I, I hope, I think that plus the epigraph really preps the reader for what's to come I mean I think it's that kind of thing isn't it that you you hope that the marketing does its job so that however people come to your book they will come to it right, <laughs> and then kind of right. get it but um, I wonder if um, I mean I'm sure that there are times when you're reading it I obviously felt it as a white woman reading the book there are times you're like oh crap do I do that shit <laughs> um, which I hope I don't but did you have any interesting conversations that is because though that you're difficult to work out because you are quite white you are white liberal that's the problem if you were an out and out racist we'd know where we stood with you yeah exactly exactly <laughs> but I'm kind of interested from the publishing side because I'm sure again there are very well-meaning people who want to get this book out in the world but did they ever kind of flag themselves as like, oh, am, am I doing this too? I've, yes. I mean, and I, I, I love that. I don't mm. know if that's weird. I, I think I really wanted that from this book. And I'm not trying to like demonize um, these people at all. I think that's such an important part. And, and I think, honestly, like, like this book is, there are so many flawed people in this book. There are flawed white characters, but there are also flawed black characters. Um, Nella has prejudices, pre- prejudices as well about what she thinks a black person will be like, about what she thinks Hazel will be like, about who Hazel would date, like that kind of thing. A lot of this book is just people trying to figure out um how they move throughout the world what other people expect from them what they expect from other people all of these really human things that we're all trying to grapple with and I really want people to take away those conversations about why they believe or expect what they do from other people like what is the reason for that um and then of course in terms of like these conversations about have I done this like I have had so many great chats with white readers who have completely opened up about, you know, times that they maybe said something that wasn't, would have come off a certain way. And that's really important to me because I think that the first step is seeing it. And Mm -hmm. once we can kind of call it out, um, I think we can all figure out a way to 
not have that happen or like talk about why those things are happening. And um, again, here and in the UK, when the book was out on sub, like I was talking to people about their own publishing houses and how they have seen themselves in the book. Um, and that was really interesting. Um, I'm really, I'm, again, just was really grateful that people felt like they could open up about it. So it's, it is an interesting, it's also very meta in a lot of ways, this book, because I am publishing, <laughs> this book has to be published by a publisher and the publisher has to also acknowledge that they're, you know, in the, it, mm. it's just all very meta. <laughs> but you know, what's interesting about what you just told us is, um, I wonder if I could give you a couple of comparisons to see what you think. In 2012, I covered the Paralympics in London. And mm. I spent a lot of time with uh, para-athletes and said, look, what's the, how do I get my language right? Mm. And they mm -hmm. said, one of the, the messages that came across loud and clear to me was, we don't mind talking about our disability because that's how we've come to do the event. But can we not major in it? Because actually we're trying to win a gold medal. So can you speak to right. us in the same way that you would speak to an able-bodied athlete who was about to win the 100 or the 200 or whatever, you know? Mm -hmm. And uh, I'm conscious, and part of the reason why I've raised it is I'm conscious that we've spent a lot of time talking to you about race because it's central to the book. But actually, if we talk to you for your next book, would you like to think that we wouldn't spend so much time talking about issues around race because your next book might not be about that? Yeah, you know, that's a really good question, um, Phil. And I've been thinking a lot about the next book too and days where I'm like oh I like this idea but then will this cause this to always be the conversation versus mm -hmm. this idea um and that can like kind of drive me a little like bonkers <laughs> after a while in terms of thinking of it that way um I don't know I mean and the, this book is so specifically tied to me and my experiences in a lot of ways to publishing and I by writing this by yeah, but just writing this, it's very clearly about race. And it's, I will say to you, like this, a lot of Nella's belief system or a lot of references, a lot of things that happen in this book are tied to my own experiences or conversations I've had with other Black people. So in this case, it's, yeah, it's, it's, I want to be having this conversation, but I mean, I don't know what the next book will be. Um, I know there will be black characters um, and I know that their like race will always, I think play a factor um, in the interpretation of a story. And I think it'll just kind of be case by case, <laughs> we'll see. <laughs> but I think yeah. that's, I think even just having this conversation again, I think that's important, like, I'm glad you brought that up. And I think that I'm hoping that other people will also be aware that like not every black writer uh, wants is mm. wants to have their book looked at through this lens, right? Mm. I think mm. it's, it's yeah. really kind of taking a cue from them, but then also of course, readers are gonna interpret the book that, the way that they do. So it's a, it's a, it's a fine balance. It's, it's all just gray, <laughs> my answer. <laughs> it feels like it might good be a good, a good time then to bring up that, um, one of the other major themes that you've already alluded to is how the relationship between Nella and Hazel doesn't exactly go to plan and taking race outside of that for a moment. Um, mm. I really enjoyed that conversation that you have in the book because um, for a long time I've kind of seen and I think social media does this quite well sometimes but it's not always helpful that there's this incredible sisterhood where in the workplace women always raise other women up and they have each other's back and my experience, I've had some, uh, worked with some a very 
difficult male colleagues too but I've worked with some particularly spiky female colleagues and the competitiveness mm. and rivalry mm-hmm. that is put on women specifically sometimes and how mean women yeah. can be to other women um, yeah. and I like that you're so open about that here as well because often it feels like oh no 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 well if you if you're talking about that then you're obviously doing something wrong as well <laughs> it's like, I don't think I did but, <laughs> yeah 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 no I that was a that's a big part of it too I mean I I love juicy lifetime movies like or like (laughs) I know you weren't expecting that probably but like I (laughs) am so big into I mean female competition in general fascinates me um and I think it's for me personally I'm, I'm drawn to it because I'm such a like passive person that like I get really excited when I see other people like <laughs> it's, it's terrible <laughs> not in real life but in stories like yeah. uh, single white female mm-hmm. or like other kind of psychological thrillers that really put women into this position and I think a lot of times it's telling again of the environment of the scarcity in general of women in a lot of certain kind of industries I mean publishing itself is there's mostly there's I mean don't quote me I don't know numbers but I feel like it's mostly women but still men are somehow always at the very top Mm -hmm. Um, and that's how Wagner Books is too with Richard so so yeah, I mean, that part was was really fun. And especially when you have, I think, a character like Nella, um, who I guess you'd say is as passive as I am in a lot of ways. Uh, she, of course, is going to feel away and be easily kind of flustered by Hazel, who is this very chic, um, smooth talking, um, kind of the quote unquote perfect kind of black person to be working at Wagner and Wagner just like all the employees there just eat her up um because she's so cool and and that was really not um (laughs) that's a simplification but (laughs) can I throw another simplification in to see what you both think of it as women so because the, the lazy trope behind this the reason why this happens is that if men wrong each other they'll go you're you were a prick then no you were a prick or should we get a beer yeah let's get a beer Whereas women will tend to harbor it and resent it and not actually say outspoken for it. Is that is there any truth in that or is that just a lazy stereotype? I I will say, well, Natalie, I'm curious to hear what you think, but okay. I I think yes, in some ways. Like the passive aggression, I I feel like women aren't allowed to be out, you know. Out, I don't know what the word is. We're not allowed to be mean, I guess. Yeah, <laughs> like, no, I know what you mean because if, if a bloke's yeah. mean, he's he's assertive. If a woman's mean, she's bossy. That thing, right? Exactly. Yeah. And if you're a black woman, I think it's also it's even like that angry black woman trope is especially damning. And it's like you don't want to. You have to kind of fit into these expectations that society grants you. And I mean, we kind of see a little bit of this in the book with. Um, Vera and um, Maisie there yeah I believe it's Vera and Maisie now I'm like oh my god I have so many characters at Wagner um <laughs> but that also there's also competition among them like it's, it's kind it's of cannibalistic yeah yeah mm-hmm. yes the editors and the, the white women in the book <laughs> yeah um so I would say yeah I don't, I don't know if it is inherent or not I'd say again just speaking from my experience I think often there is the assumption that you want to be the good one so you don't want to kind of like act that same way to kind of call it out in case it escalates into I mean I'm quite um 
sort of averse to confrontation, I think. And I don't know if that's me or a female trait specifically. So I think sometimes that um, kind of leads into it. But I'm kind of thinking of there was one situation I had where somebody in a formal work was being really mean to me and I did call her out on it. And uh, she was like, well, it's because the other person is being really mean. She was mean to me, but now she's put it onto you. So I'm kind of, it's all good. And I was like, how does that work? Yes, that kind of displacement. Yes, that's so, that's so real. I feel like that's so real. And that's also something that I've talked about with um, Black people too, about this kind of sense, like the hazing quality of it. Like you're, you had it this hard. So you, the next person has to have it as hard as you did. Um, And I think it's, it's so messed up. And I think it's interesting because women have the same thing in a lot of ways um, that I do think Black people have, where it's like, there are these two ideas, right? There's one that there can only be so many of you in a space, Mm -hmm. but then there's also the idea that you are supposed to look out for one another. And it's like, those two things Mm. cannot coexist. Mm. Mm. No. That's a really good point. How can you look after each other when you're angling for fewer places and positions? Yeah. You know what we've gone and done again, Nat? We do this a lot on this podcast. We get so, you know what I'm going to say? We get so wrapped up with our guests, right, that we forget to ask you to read a bit from the book. We're oh. like at least 45 minutes in now. Normally we do it right at the beginning, but we're having such a lovely time chatting this to you. It's been so nice. Yeah. Yeah. Um, are you okay to just read us a, a short bit from, from the other black girl? And we're going to go right from the beginning, aren't we, just to set it up? Yeah, I'll start right from the prologue. Uh, Friday. <clears throat> prologue. December 1983, Grand Central Terminal, Midtown, Manhattan. Stop fussing at it now. Leave it alone. But my nails found my scalp anyway, running from front to back to front again. My reward was a moment of sweet relief, followed by a familiar flood of dry, searing pain. Stop it. Stop it. I'd already learned that the more I scratched, the more it resembled the burn of a bad perm, a bad perm that had been stung by 50 wasps and then soothed with moonshine. My small opportunity for reprieve would come only after the train started moving, when I could finally close my eyes and take comfort in the growing distance between me and New York City. Still, I continued to scrape at the itch incessantly, my attention shifting to another startling concern. We weren't moving yet. My eyes darted to the strip of train platform visible through the open doors, my mind moving faster than I'd moved through Grand Central Terminal just minutes earlier. What if someone followed me here? Love it. Love it. (laughs) And a bit that I wanted to talk to you as well about, um, Zakia, was, and again, I don't want to give too much away about the story, but I think it kind of plays into the themes already that we've been discussing, is the notion of cultural integration versus cultural assimilation Mm, and also mm -hmm. tied with the persona that people I kind of often have this chat with my husband about how are you really yourself when you're in a office environment or do you kind of have this persona that you put on and what was it you were trying to extract from some of those topics if you like because they're woven throughout the book as well yeah yeah I mean that when I was writing I was really trying to be mindful um, of trying to find a balance between Nella's work life and Nella's personal life of we Mm -hmm. see her in Wagner and this very you know constricting um, sanitized very white space and then we see her out in Brooklyn out in the world with her best friend with her boyfriend like living her life and we get to see the 
more tender kind of I think more inviting parts of Nella when she's not at work um Mm -hmm. and like I I wanted to really show what was at stake with Nella in terms of what she had to lose um and why the the fact that Wagner really kind of in a lot of ways consumes her life in the way that a lot of us uh I mean now we're not working in actual places a lot of the time but almost now I think it's harder to separate your life from work because it is always on your computer or your your phone like that line is that line is harder to find Mm. and I think for Nella it's especially hard um, this is the before times before the pandemic Mm. because she's trying to really succeed and trying to just not stand out I know for me when I was growing up in mostly white spaces uh, where I, in my neighborhood, my elementary school, I was often the only black girl in my class or one of a few in my grade. Like I definitely remember trying not to stand out. Like I, I didn't try to call attention to my blackness. Um, And I think that's something that a lot of black people do in spaces like this, like Wagner books where, or you just don't feel like you can. And I think that's though, that, that does extend to everyone in a way, right? Like we can't bring all of ourselves to work because then we would hate everything all the time. Um, yeah. But I think but, you've got like that double whammy as well as, as a woman as well. Cause I think sometimes you yeah. meet yourself, you know, for not wanting to like be the hysterical woman if you're really passionate about something or whatever it might be. Exactly. And the thing of that about publishing though, that's also interesting is that you are supposed to bring yourself to work yeah. in a way that you don't with other jobs. Mm-hmm. Like it's, and it's for this greater good, you know, that it, it makes sense, but then you're supposed to like, not in a lot of ways, like how do you navigate that? Um, especially as a young person. So I, I really wanted to, to show that struggle with Nella and, you know, really question what the difference between code switching and selling out is, you know, like Mm -hmm. that's, it's a slippery slope. And I think everybody has their own kind of point that they, they can cut themselves off. But I know for me, I had a hard time keeping like, being like, this is just a job because like, it's not a lot of the time. It's hard for it to just be a job because if it were just a job, would you really be doing all of the, like this work? It's really hard. Like if you're mm. not enjoying mm. it. Yeah. Not to you go off me... on a tangent briefly, Phil, sorry to interrupt. No, no, fine. To... You gave me a great tip. You did. You, I wanted to share the tip you gave me, which was that um, you told me to put on my, you know, on your little auto signature in your email, um, Natalie said, put your working hours on there so that, you know, people, they, yes. when they get the bounce back. They know they're not going to get a reply outside of those hours. That was a really good, it's really worked for me that tip. That's so smart. Natalie James is smart. <laughs> <laughs> but I was going to say, I think it's really interesting. And again, I don't want to take this too far away from the book and what we're talking about. But um, in journalism, I don't know if it's been similar in the States as well, but the kind of the journalism that I uh, grew up on was that you never make yourself the story. It's always about um, mm. your conduit to tell other people's stories and for highlighting things that aren't getting the attention that they need. And so mm. much of journalism now has skewed that yeah. it is all about the journalist and you can just see they're either trying to get a rise out of somebody or they are yeah. making their personal experience the story before the interviewee yeah. I really struggle with that as that's not kind of I don't think that's kind of one of my beliefs as a journalist really right well I feel like at that point it's not I don't know I didn't study journalism but I feel like that's like a different space like I mm. I remember taking 
like a life writing class or some kind of one of the first nonfiction classes I took when I was an undergrad. And then I actually ended up doing my MFA in nonfiction writing um, at the new school. I got waitlisted for fiction, uh, which is funny. But um, I remember studying that, like the this the shift that happened um, in writing where it moved from being about the subject purely to then being about the lens through which the subject is seen and like I mean I still think that's a there's validity in that you can get good things out of it but mm-hmm, mm-hmm. It, it definitely is different like it feels like it's an its own kind of space uh, that feels more creative um, in a way yeah I don't know the agenda thing can is yeah that adds a, a flavor <laughs> it does <laughs> now listen do we um do we hear that tv have come sniffing around is this they, that lenses. <laughs> yeah. they, they've been sniffing yeah yeah yeah. <laughs> yeah i'm actually working on the pilot script right now of Great. the first episode yeah it's been a journey i have my uh my screenwriting book somewhere around here underneath right. all these books so i'm right. just kind of trying to absorb all of it but and have they paired you with some uh, screenwriters with more experience yeah, yeah. I'm actually co-writing with Rashida Jones. Um, oh, you! I love her. She's incredible and has been such a wonderful, just has taken me and just talked me through a lot of it and um, has really given me a lot of space to to learn the world and uh, really imagine the characters. And it's, it's really fun brainstorming with her. And, and so it's been really great. And that was just announced a few days ago. So this That's is fairly, amazing. fairly recent. Is she uh, going to be in it as well? Um, I feel like there are like acting roles or TV, but I feel like she's worth another, I'm not sure. I, I don't, <laughs> yeah. She right now, she's just attached as a, we're doing the writing together. Right, so right. we haven't gotten to the, that part yet but i'm very excited to to get yeah, to what a buzz to be paired with, with yeah. her. i think that's a great that's super cool super She's cool and, and then just amazing. even kind of being able to do that did you have to really push yourself saying i i haven't got the screenwriting experience but i want to be the person to tell this story and, and were people receptive to that yeah you know i i, I mentioned earlier i was like i had no idea that this book would get like the buzz and the the publishing excitement that it did but I had no no thoughts of tv or film so like I had nothing of that nothing of nothing about that was even in my head and so when I started having these conversations with different producers and different um possible co-writers like the more I talked about it with them I could see this vision like and because it was hard for me at first I, I think at least for me, I really only imagine the characters in this space. Um, but the more we chatted, the more I could see them, see this becoming something bigger and creepier and more exciting and just giving every character all the space I couldn't give them on the page. Uh, it's really exciting. And they all actually wanted me to be a part of it because they were like, you know this world, you know these experiences, like we want you to be as involved as you want to be and I was like all right we'll see uh and <laughs> but it turns out I mean talk to me in like four months but like I actually really enjoying it it's really really fulfilling and great to get to learn something like this yeah and great to work with Rashida Jones yeah, as well I mean yeah. I'm really excited for you I think that's brilliant yeah. and, the, and we should point, point out as well this is a debut isn't it so yeah 
You've gone from no not knowing pressure. whether the book's going to sell to all of a sudden these auction walls, <laughs> no. all of a sudden TV. I mean, it's just brilliant. I'm so thrilled for you. Thank you. It really happened overnight, it feels like. so, And it happened right before the pandemic. So right. it's wild. I have what, I've got one more nosy question, if you don't mind. So yeah. we're, we're talking to you on a Zoom. And over your left shoulder looks to me like the length <laughs> of the wall is a blackboard. And I want to know that that's where you plan, <laughs> is that where you plan all your books? Actually, you know, my, well, yes, sometimes, but lately my partner and I have actually been brainstorming a TV show idea that we, we had a few weeks uh. ago. <laughs> so we just add notes to it. Um, it's been very, it's been, I think, having this third space that there are no stakes and it's just fun to have another creative thought in our heads, um, or at least for me, that's that's what's been going on. Uh, <laughs> so I love it. We we just moved here in January. So yeah. we, I was like, we have to have a chalkboard wall. And it's been so whereabouts are you? Are you still in Brooklyn? Yeah, yeah, we're in Brooklyn. Isn't it funny? Because I'm now telling my boys who are five and two not to write on the walls, but there's you and your partner <laughs> on the walls and hope to, hoping to get another TV show out of it. <laughs> and, uh, you know, I mean, you can tell your sons this, but you can get orange chalkboard paint. You can get blue chalk. Like, there's yeah. so many colours, so... Yeah. It is good. Um, and the other, only other nosy question that I had, which isn't particularly a question, is just that I noted that in between when you were doing your publishing work and uh, creative writing studies, um, you also worked in a pie shop and, and a cupcake yes. shop, which is like the I, other dream, right? <laughs> I've worked in, I, yep, I worked in a pie shop, a cupcake shop, and then I've also worked in an ice cream shop. <laughs> like I loved, I loved it. I love talking to people. I think that's like my, my thing. And free coffee. Like those are the two things. That and what was the percentage pies. of discount? Uh, discount, I just. <laughs> oh right, it was hundred percent right. I got you. Excellent. Oh wow. I mean, I not always. I I did. There was like half off sometimes, but then I I knew the bakers, especially at the pie shop. I was there for a while. Right. So it was you know, I was a veteran by the time I left. <laughs> God, if I was in a Ben and Jerry scoop shop, Ben and Jerry's would go bust. Oh my God! Same. In like a month. <laughs> Same. Oh, so good. Um, good. I have really, really enjoyed this one. Really, really enjoyed Me it. And, and I've got to say, Zaki, I've got to give full props to Natalie uh, because she brought this book to the table, and she sent Thank me you. a copy of your book. And I'm really pleased that you did, Nat. I'm really pleased that you did. Thanks. You're welcome. Oh, thank yeah, you. Yeah, I was so I was much. an early adopter. I was like, it sounds really good. And I read the first <laughs> few paragraphs. I was like, yeah, I really want to do this. And it's funny, we were we were talking to um uh, we interviewed Dawny Walton the other day as well. We were saying it's that, yeah, so cool. It's that kind of weird thing at like when early on people are a bit like, but is it gonna be good? Is that gonna be fast? Like <laughs> you're like, just like trust me, I think it's good. And it's really hard to get that balance right. Oh well, I appreciate that. That means a lot to me because I was I've been thinking about that all the time. So <laughs> no pressure. <laughs> so what would you recommend that people should read outside of The Other Black Girl? What have you enjoyed reading lately? Yeah, I mean, I was actually, I've been recommending Donnie Walton's book, uh, mm. Final Revival of Opal and Ev. Yeah. I, I loved that. that. I can't wait to uh, listen to the audiobook, Black Buck by Matteo Escarapur, um, which I believe is coming out in the UK very soon. Let me look that up. It's, um, oh yeah, it's Black Buck by Matteo Escarapur. And it is, in a lot of ways, uh, he actually reached out to me last summer, shortly after my book was sold and emailed me. and was like, our books are book siblings. And I was like, what? 
and we we chatted and uh, we chatted about our books and he's he's great he's a great author um, great person and his book is uh, similar in the sense that there is a black protagonist who works in a tech startup I believe mm-hmm. um, yeah that's all I'll say it's, okay. it's it also occupies a very interesting space it is a journey it is funny. It is such a fast read. Like I just, cause you want to know what happens to the main character. Uh, so, so that's out here now. I've just found that on the iBook store. So certainly yeah. online that is available in the UK already. Yeah. Uh, and that's black yeah. book, not, not as in book double OK, but B-U-C-K as in book Rogers. B-U-C-K. Yeah. Mateo is M-A-T-E-O and Ascaria mm-hmm. is A-S-K-A-R-I-P-O-U-R if you want to find Yeah. Sorry to Bother You and the Wolf of Wall Street are the cops. So nice. Similar movie and uh, workplace. Yeah. Sorry to Bother You is quite a film. Yes, yeah. it is. <laughs> yeah. Again, it's like, I'm not sure if you've seen it. Far, I haven't seen like, it, no. Yeah, you'd, you'd kind of know if you had. Right, okay. It's, I, it also does a thing where it goes into this space uh, that yeah. you will not see coming. So no. Okay. Yeah, and it really takes it to the extremes of where it goes. Um, yeah, you've both made yeah. me intrigued slash slightly scared. <laughs> oh, that's the that was the goal. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. It's got um, Lakeith Stanfield in it. is really good, I and mean, he's good in everything I've seen him in. Um, there's he's obviously so a question mark over Army Hammer nowadays. Um, uh, oh yeah. Oh, yeah. is Army Hammer in that? Yeah. Oh, I forgot about that. Okay. Mm. Well, he but watch Lakeith, it for Lakeith. <laughs> yeah, and Tessa Thompson is yeah. really good in it too. So you have homework now. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I was also just thinking. You know, I'm grateful that it's the other hammer I have more to do with. MC follows me on Twitter, and that's I'm fine with that. <gasps> Interesting. Wow, Genuinely. you should have led with that. How did that happen? I feel like I should check now that he's still following me. <laughs> you know what I mean? I feel like it was a while ago. I kind of wonder if, did he really mean me? You know, when someone that famous follows you and there's no, like, I've not interviewed him. Sometimes it happens after an interview and you think, well, that's fair enough. There's been a connection. You know, yeah. We've done an interview together. Yeah. But so you haven't, you've never interview. interviewed him. No. Do you reckon, you know, remember, remember, was it last week even? We were talking about the, the bloke on Twitter. Is it based in Australia who has the same name as you, but he's this. Yeah, the reporter. Reporter. Yeah. Do you think that MC Hammer. <laughs> No, because this guy does. This guy's like the Roger Cook of his country. Do you know what I mean? He doesn't okay. do. He wouldn't be interviewing MC Hammer. Yeah, but maybe like exposure. MC Hammer's a massive fan of that. How do you know? No, that's true. We don't know. He definitely follows me. MC Hammer follows you. I did at the time. I did tweet and go, "Oh my goodness, MC Hammer's following me." Stop. And then did you make Hashtag a really Hammer time? Right. <laughs> I was going to say, did you do like a? You and he didn't it. unfollow. So like you know, he's had a chance. I've said it's me. <laughs> what I'll do is when this episode goes out, right? I will tweet. That it includes some MC Hammer chat, and I'll at him. Great. Let's see what happens. Yeah. Bring some of that into the book world. Why not? Can you name me one other MC Hammer song apart from Can't Touch This? <laughs> no, but yes, in my brain. Yeah, you will be able to. You yeah, able I can to, see the other one. one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I can see him doing it. It was a Chai Lights cover. Does that help you? Have you seen her? Tell me, have you seen her? Yeah. Yeah. There well you go. Hold on, pot picker. So we all went a bit MC Hammer there in honor of Zakir, who's brilliant. And we had a lot of fun with Zakir. Yeah, and she deserves all the success that is already come her way. And, and she's I'm getting sure loads, so isn't more. she? Yeah. Loads and loads and loads. I think Good Morning America have picked that book up and so have Entertainment Weekly and lots of the big outlets in the States. 
Yeah, no, it's, it's a really good thing. And, you know, I think as she rightly said in the interview, don't get us wrong, I'm, I'm sure she's very much enjoying this moment and that people are heaping so much praise on her books. But, um, you know, there are so many other great books out there as well that deserve a lot of attention to. So it's just how we seek those out and push them into the spotlight too. We have some brilliant writers still to come before season two reaches a conclusion. Should we tease a couple? Yeah, go for it. Well, I definitely want to mention Anthony Horowitz. He's yeah. confirmed. He's going to be on. His new book is out on the 19th. It's a new Hawthorne mystery. And uh, I've got it, actually. I need to start it. Got it yeah, no, I haven't read it yet either. No. But um, this is like a, well, we're only on season two, so of course it's going to be a first, but returning guest, Anthony yeah. Horowitz, who was on yeah. season one as well. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. Do you think we'll have enough to talk to him about? 100%. <laughs> yeah. 100%. Do you, think, do you yeah. think I'll go on about, again about his secret door to his amazing office? Probably. <laughs> now, I was hoping that in the intervening 12 months, you'd have put some kind of secret door in, but I'm looking around behind you because you don't have a backdrop like me. No. You, that's your actual room, but I can't see it. I can see a wardrobe, which if you went into, would you go into Narnia? Yeah, you totally would. Yeah. Although it's the alternate. So it's actually really summery when you go through. So you don't have to go through lots of like coats and stuff and you come out and Mr. Tumnus is there all shivering. You're there on a beach and it's great. And somebody hands you a pina colada. Oh, Marvellous. Isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> Sometimes lose the kids in there for hours. <laughs> and when my mum comes to stay, oof, can't get her back. <laughs> before you reel too much about your narnia wardrobe we'll draw it to a conclusion for there uh, make sure you rate review subscribe please what those things mean are rate give us five stars out of five on apple please uh review just say really enjoying this they get some great writers and it's costing me a fortune in spending on the books something like that would be lovely and subscribe hopefully you've already done that which is why you're listening to this now but if you stumbled upon it just subscribe and then it will automatically go into where you get your podcast on your phone or your device or your tablet however you listen yeah, and I would add to that as well, not that I do encourage people to spend lots of money because we don't know what your personal circumstances are, but the thing that brings both Phil and I a lot of joy is when we hear that you've been encouraged and inspired oh, yeah. to go out and buy the books yeah. that we've been talking about um, because that's what it's all about, is hopefully connecting you with an author or a story that you may not have stumbled across until now and finding something that you're going to really, really love and really brighten your day. <laughs> <laughs>